0: Welcome, adventurers. What effect will a stranger's warning have on the trajectory of a search for a hidden enemy? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents Tales from the Dungeon The hooded figure had turned and walked, just plain walked away from the camp, eventually becoming indistinguishable from the trees. It was a disappointment in a way. As close as they had gotten before they were seen, Melo would have much preferred if the stranger had vanished into a mist or stepped through some magic door. His mundane walk away from their camp was unnerving somehow, reinforced the danger they were in. If any random someone could just walk up to them unseen in the middle of the Gimlin woods. They had all watched until the cloak could be seen no more. Not as part of a verbal discussion or plan, but, Mela suspected, because they were all Shaken, Mela held faith in Sarkeesian above any other being in this world, with the exception of Colborn. but the fact that they had spent all these months inquiring after the wrong name felt irresponsible, embarrassing. Sarkeesian turned at last and walked back toward the unlit fire pit and sat the silent invitation was understood by all. Weapons were sheathed. Ketri retrieved a skin, given the time of day, it should have been water, but after the enthusiastic swig she took and the fact that it was offered to Colfin after she sat, Mela knew it more than likely contained cheap wine or ale, if not something stronger. Mela settled on a flat rock, and Rianok tucked in next to her. She looked across to Colborn, thinking she might catch his eye. But his thick black brow was furrowed, and he stared at his feet, lips moving occasionally. The dwarf squinted now and again, eyes going from left to right, as if he was reading an invisible book. Mayla had seen him do this a few times on their journey. He was exploring the depths of his mind, trying to draw connections between the last few days and anything he had ever read. It was customary for Sarkeesian to be the first to speak in these situations, not because she was smarter or there had ever been a vote, but instead because she had been accepted by one and all as their leader, their guide on this Whatever this was. But today she seemed reluctant. And to Mela's surprise, the usually confident woman took Ketri's skin from Colfin and took a large swig before she began. Well her mouth worked for a moment, as if there would be more. But then it shut. <laughs> floor of the grey house of Engenar's home was large, twenty two rooms in total. Exploring each and every one thoroughly for hidden doors would have taken bells. Luckily there were only three staircases to the floor above. Ketri, against Sarkeesian's better judgment, was left to keep an eye on the large double staircase just inside the entrance. Colfin set an alarm ward at the bottom of the second set that led up from a long hall on the east side of the building, before he took up a position to guard the last one near the rear of the building. The rest of them searched, Colborn with Rhiannock and herself with Sarkeesian. They started in more private rooms, rooms that seemed most likely to Colborn to have hidden doors. They found nothing in the first four. As Sarkesian led the way into a small sitting room, she paused a moment and cocked her head. And then said Hold tight. We'll join you in a moment. Into the air. Maylin knew Sarkeesian had not lost her mind. Colborne and Rhianok must have found something, Colborn sending word via magic. They made their way back toward the front of the building. Rhiannock stood in the hall ahead looking back their way. They were not far from the north end of the hall where they had fought. The chamber, much to Mela's surprise, was not even a full room, but instead an oversized coat closet, five or six feet wide and eight or so deep. Two cobweb covered cloaks hung at the far end, but it was otherwise empty. Colborne stood within, squatting to peer down into a dingy black opening in the floor. To either side of this opening, two pieces of the floor sat, pieces that would have fit perfectly into the hole. A quick inspection showed they were covered in a tiled pattern that would have matched exactly with the existing floor. Hearing their approaching footsteps, Colborne looked back over his shoulder to Sarkeesian and said, I found you some more steps. Only problem is they don't go up. He looked past Sarkeesian to Mela and gave her a wink. Sarkeesian moved to stand beside Colborne, head tilting forward to gaze into the dark as well. It was quiet for almost thirty beats. Sarkeesian looked into the hole, but really seemed to be considering... Colborne stayed in the squat, looking up at Sarkeesian. Mela looked to Rianach, who, for this rare occasion, held eye contact. The little red-haired woman gave a concerned smile and then looked back into the room. Well, Colborne finally said, do we search all the upstairs rooms first? The tone of the question suggested no was his vote. Mela felt pretty sure the answer would be no as well, given the nature of the hideout they had found in the titan's boneyard. Sarkeesian's answer was to draw her sword in turn toward her. Mela, get the others. Let's see if a rat named Enginar lurks in the shadows below. well, was as good a beginning as any, encapsulated the mood and topic of the conversation that needed to follow. To Mela's surprise, the normally quiet Colfin spoke next. They were wearing a sylvestol on their left wrist. Colborn's head popped up as if he had been slapped. He looked from his brother, who nodded, to Sarkeesian, who had her own look of consideration lodged on her face. The dark brown eyes of their leader were far off for a moment as she re-ran the encounter in her mind. When they focused again, she nodded as well. Solvstal sounded familiar for some reason. Something to do with the city of Roshan, that was it. It was a particular bracelet made of copper and silver wire, braided and then hammered flat, then twisted again into its final shape. Mela had remarked on the beauty of one during their time in Jumato, and Colborne said how they were a specialty of the jewelry smiths in Roshan, and though that there were many attempts at knockoffs, real sulvstal came from Roshan, and Roshan only. Though they were worn by persons outside of the city, a vast majority of the citizens of Roshan wore one. They were said to bring luck, to ward off, Evil spirits. Mela had been curious if they worked. Colborne had smiled and replied, "Just superstition. The average sulvstol is no more magical than your teeth." And then, after considering a moment, "Well, less magical than your teeth, I suppose." He had laughed at that. So, that is a good chance our visitor hails from Roshan. Colborn said. Sarkeesian and Colfin nodded. Rhiannock, Ketri, and herself accepted this as correct. Are we going to glass over the part where we were warned off these pursuits? Rhiannock cut in. Danger? Our lives? Silence followed again. I can ask none of you to keep on, Sarkeesian finally broke in. The words sunk like a stone in her belly as soon as they were spoken. Mela knew Sarkeesian had no intention of stopping. I can't say I trust the person who brought us these tidings, but I can say that my gut feeling is. They were telling the truth, that this emerald scarab is extremely dangerous. Another pause. But for me, Now it is personal. This emerald scarab has, with little consideration, called for the lives of my friends and myself to be ended. Not once, but twice. In reaction to the most mild of inquiries. If they have done that for us, how many countless others must they have killed? I ask none of you to follow me, but for myself, I will continue with much greater caution than before. But I will continue. Mela swallowed. She had just found family, and now was this going to be the end? They were going to split up. If Colborne left, Rihannach Colborn sat, running his hand over the three braids of his beard. Ketri poked at the remaining ashes in the fire pit with a stick. Colfin stared straight ahead, but was clearly looking at nothing. At her side, Mela heard Rianak mumble. Well, if you got any smart words, now would be the time. She knew the halfling was not talking to her, but to the voice in her head. The one she implied was Cinder on occasion. Finally, Colborne said something. It started quiet, but finished loud enough for all to hear. Not that he was speaking to anyone in particular. It seemed more like he was talking to himself. Lantern. Lantern. To cast light in the dark places. To help where it is needed. Colfin's eyes came back into focus, and he looked to his brother, placing a hand on his shoulder, and then nodded. But what stunned Mela were the tears that had formed in Sarkeesian's eyes. One escaped and rolled down her round cheek. The tall woman gave a smile and then said to cast light in the dark places. Colborn responded to help where needed. The Flint Fist brothers will follow you. Ketri looked to Colfin and then to Colborn. He said the scarab was a bug of some sort. Colborn smiled and nodded. Ketri lifted her big boot and said, "'I've got the right foot to crush a vile bug.' Colborne's smile widened to show teeth. Sarkesian laughed out loud. Rianox's voice sounded beside her. "'You're all mad. "'Makes me feel like I belong. "'I'll go along in this berserker's folly "'as long as someone promises me "'we are going to come up with some sort of plan.' Sarkeesian looked at the halfling. A plan, I promise. As the looks fell on her, one by one, she felt many things. But most of all, she felt a fierce swelling of love, realized she would go anywhere, do anything to help them, to defend them and protect them. A frown came onto her face. If you all think you are going somewhere... And leaving me behind, you are sorely mistaken. But then, where was somewhere? Jumato had been a bust. Mummers Fair, well, even if there was more information to be had there, who knew how long it would be before it was safe to show their faces in that hovel again? Sarkeesian made it clear that wherever came next, their names and true identities had to be left aside for a while. They turned their thoughts on the visitor. Was there anything more to be learned from the stranger? Thoughts and speculations had been bandied about before they settled on what they agreed were the two most likely scenarios. The stranger spoke true in warning them or he was actually in the employ of this emerald scarab, and it was a clever attempt to discourage further inquiries. Either way, it was the origin of the stranger that was more interesting to them. Wherever this mysterious figure hailed from, they had gained knowledge of, or were in proximity to, the emerald scarab, and that is where they wanted to be. So it was that their next decision... Their next course of travel all came down to a piece of jewelry. Sarkeesian looked around the circle, hands on her knees. Roshan, then. Nods, grunts, and Mela's own repetition of the word Roshan made up unanimous consent. The plan was to avoid roads and any major populated areas to travel slow and unseen instead of making good time. It was best if none could place them or their direction of travel if killers and assassins still sought them out. When they eventually arrived in the city of Roshan, they would not be a band of adventurers, but something else entirely. Two days to the east brought them back to the edge of the Gimlin Woods, they crossed the Fenfergal in the same fashion as they had before. A day past that, they crossed the Usmana, somewhere between a Halbaston and Camfor. Crossing completed, they did their best to find an out-of-the-way spot to hide, while Colborn, Reanach, and Sarkeesian made their way under the cover of night and magical disguise to Halbaston to gather a few things for their journey and their impending arrival in Roshan. Mela didn't like being left behind, but it was important not to be seen as a group of six. Their companions returned late in the night. From that point on, they mostly traveled in the bells of the day when Soul's light was fading, and in the dark that followed. Often they would break up into two or three groups and travel a bell or so apart hoping that if their passing was noted it would be incorrect numbers or the inappropriate composition of persons. They lit no campfires and ate cold food. The best possible outcome for this was for the world to believe they had heeded the stranger's advice and left the province. A trip that could have been accomplished in seven or eight days normally took twelve The bells travel from Roshan, standing in an empty field. They parted ways. Riyanok left first, heading north of the city, so as to arrive as a traveler coming from that direction. Ketri left next, about a bell's time later, heading the opposite direction so as to arrive via the south gate. The rest of them spent one last night outside of the city and went over their aliases. Colborn was to pose as a scholar, Doomran Earth-Turner, researching the history of the Oragos Astra, in particular the final resting place of Grendemi's spear. Mela would be Skeldi Husfarn, his chief secretary and research assistant. Colborn would be passing as tracker and guide Bim Mat, that would lead explorations into the Shal to search the many ruins there clues. Sarkeesian was to be Georgian, hired muscle, protection for their home, and expeditions. The remaining four woke early the next morning and changed, Colborne into long gray robes that covered his legs entirely, hiding the mechanical wonders that were there. May the changed from her worn and comfortable tunic, boots, and leggings, and exchanged them for a high necked dress of dark blue wool. She had never worn a dress before. She hated it. Sarkeesian stowed her plate armor, exchanging it for a battered and worn breastplate, and her fine shield for a much rougher wood one. Colfin, of all of them, already looked his part and changed nothing they set off, picking up the root road north of Roshan. It was cold in the shadow of the Shal Shalis. Mayla could see her breath as they walked. A bell or so later, Sol appeared over the great mountains, sending golden light spilling down its side, touching the root road, falling on Mayla's brown hair. Steam rose from the city walls. They were at the gate, and then they were in. In the city of Roshan. Her empty stomach roiled in anticipation. Would it be here? Would they finally find a path that led them to the emerald scarab? What lies at the bottom of a dark, hidden stairwell? What will Mela and her friends find in the city of Roshan? Stay tuned next week for part five of The Undying Emerald.